Hey everyone, quick message from Tucson's Rising Phoenix Fitness and Defense. Help treat anxiety and depression with martial arts training and education. Develop the confidence, skills, and fitness you need to stay safe. Our focus is real-world self-defense tactics, practical and effective for everyone. You can find them at 4500 East Speedway Boulevard, number 4, Tucson AZ 85712. Or you can call them at 520-838-1592. They are open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So hit them up. Learn martial arts, very therapeutic, and you can learn to kick ass and kick depression's ass as well. So um, hit them up. Warning, content not suitable for children. Listener discretion advised, yo. Screaming Chewy Show, your source of entertainment and overall fuckery. And it starts now. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Screaming True Show. I'd like to welcome special guest, recurring uh, guest, actually, very special guest, Rodwick Edwards. How you doing, Rod? Hey, hey. And I'd like to also introduce Tony Wright. How you doing, Tony? Doing great. How are you? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Can't complain. And uh, so we're going to talk about something special today, right? We're also going to, you know, talk about the book. But, um, Rod, you had a great idea, right, about mentioning people's lives that got lost in the shuffle. Right. So obviously what we're talking about today is a book in general about a guy's life who needs to be recorded. And we Tony found it at auction, a lot of his documents and pictures uh, from World War II. But we want to expand it more than that and talk about all the lives that, that get lost. Like, if, let's say you, you buy a house or rent a house and you're going through the garage or attic and you find this old box of pictures and documents. You're like, Who is, whose life is this? And a lot of us, we just, okay, we'll throw it in the trash. It's not my stuff. But if you actually went through it, sometimes you'll find out you've just thrown away just crazy, impossible memories that, that should have been recorded somewhere. And that's what kind of what we're talking about, lives that get thrown away in general and that shouldn't get thrown away. You know, it's crazy how, you know, just one's life, you could experience so much. But if you don't have any proof or any, you know, any anybody to pass down your legacy, like who really knows what would happen, right? Right. So backing up then, well, Tony, Tony is my friend here and he also is an auction auctioneer. He goes to auctions and likes to find tidbits here. Go ahead and tell us how 
we found this uh, amazing find that you found this amazing find at an auction about this man's life. Good sure. Yeah. We're, yeah. Be glad to. Uh, yeah. So uh, like Roderick said, you know, I've been doing auctions for oh many, many years. And one of the things uh, outside of just um, doing the auctions is also participating in other auctions, which is where I, I found this one evening at a local uh, auction barn in Franklin, Indiana. And uh, I went down there and, you know, know, I went through the book stories in there, but uh, really what it was, was uh, uh, military and NASA stuff, which I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to things like that. I I just love history. I like documents. I like, I like photographs and I've uh, collected several things over the years. Uh, But this one was a little more interesting because uh, of the detail, especially the photo album we have Um, just everything recorded just like uh, Wilfred had written the book already for us. And, but we just had to get it out. So uh, uh, one night at the auction, I was helping work the auction bidding on the the military stuff. They split it up. And then uh, I don't know. I just, at some point I finally just give up on the, uh, the album, not because I didn't want it, but I could just tell that it was just going to become a bidding war uh, with another participant. So I let it go. Then when they sold the, the NASA items, uh, I was the winner of that. And once I got it all home and me staying up all night, uh, sorting through all my new treasures here, I kind of put two and two together and realized that I should have uh, pursued the photo album because the two should have been kept together. And I think that's really the importance uh, note here is that, you know, uh, you know, people at auctions, you know, some people are buying to buy and resell, make a little money. Uh, and I've done some of that over, over the years too. But with, with this little uh, project here, I right away I could see the importance of the documentation, uh, the era, uh, along with the NASA moving forward to NASA and things like that. So, so I knew it was something special in the beginning. So that's why I had to go back and get it. And I finally uh, was able to do that through, through the help of some friends um, and get everything back together. Um, I've had, go ahead. I'm going to tell, make sure Chewy realized it wasn't like you had a bunch of, uh, uh, Cholo's going with you somewhere to break some legs and getting that stuff back. And <laughs> Do it the, the street way, huh? Yeah. Just clarifying that. No, no, no. I, I, I did it right. I, uh, you know, I, I, uh, kept contacting, the the other bidder over several, several weeks. It took me, uh, to finally, uh, uh, get the, the, other participant to uh, finally settle on a price that uh, I guess was reasonable for her work for me. Really at the time, I I didn't care what the price was. I just knew it had to get back together. Um, So yeah, so it took me about three weeks. I I got that done. And uh, then from there, I've been just over the last several years, really just going through the documents and searching in my mind, uh, you know, where all this belongs and, and how am I going to share this with the world and, you know, it's really cool. It's in, you know, a footlocker in, in, in Tony Wright's living room because that's where it's been forever. Uh, but I still felt that I wasn't doing it uh, just um, by keeping it to myself. I, I just felt it was more important. And I'd worked with uh, Roderick several years ago um, on some projects work related uh, through our other career paths. Um, and then we then we kind of lost lost touch a little bit or reconnected with him a while back uh, through Facebook. 
And as I started following Roderick, I, I noticed that he was becoming this established author, uh, you know, selling some stuff on Amazon. I bought some of his books and I just really loved the way uh, Roderick was, was writing his, his, his books and, and all that. So uh, I first contacted Roderick actually to work on another project that was about what I do at my day-to-day -day job and things like that. And as I was going through that outline, preparing to send some of that to Roderick, all of a sudden this light bulb went off in my head and it was like this aha moment, like this could be our opportunity. And uh, so I contacted Roderick and I said, hey, how about uh, we work on this project? And I was sending him some photos and, and things like that. And right away, Roderick said, yeah, let's let's do this thing. Let's see what happens with it. Uh, so I was able to get the the footlocker of documents and photos and all that down to Roderick, spent a, spent a day with him and his sister. And we were uh, going through all this stuff and that's where I left it. And that was at the end of uh, August. And then here in uh, December, we were able to actually release the book. It actually went a lot faster than what I thought it would be. Um, but it was just, it was just a great project. And uh, I'm just so happy that, uh, that we've done this and can't wait for, you know, what other doors this opens, not just for Roderick and myself, but, but others who might pick up the book and read it. Um, this, like Roderick was saying, it just, the book really, you know, resonates with just about anyone breathing air today. Um, anyone can make a connection with the book in, in some way, uh, shape or form. So that's, I, I think that's what I'm uh, really, you know, proudest about doing this project. Well, that's a wrap. He's he basically explained everything. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> All right, no, that was great. And uh, Rod, you kicked ass, bro. You did that book fast, and I mean, and you do amazing work with your writing. You know, well, like Tony said, it the uh, the Wilford Skull, which is the World War II guy. He was a cargo pilot in the uh, China Burma India region, nineteen forty five. So anyhow, he was in there. He he collected all these pictures and these documents so really all i had to do is put them together and piece together a few things here he basically wrote the book for me already it's just so it's almost an autobiography but it's more a biography so so how did you feel writing this book did did you like um like did you feel like you know learning all this about him and what he went through did anything go through your mind well, a couple of things. One, because of our modern era of social media, I felt like, wow, I'm kind of stalking this guy. I'm I'm seeing his private life. It wasn't too private, but it was enough where it felt a little weird. But I also felt intimidated because like, okay, I got to explain this guy's life in a way that honors him, in a way that does not offend anybody who might know him. And I'm writing about him like, oh, who are you to write about this guy? So I want to make sure I was honoring him and make sure the way I said it was, was honorable and, and capture what he was trying to capture in his pictures. I think I've done an okay job on that. So I think that's amazing. Tony discovered, you know, this guy's history and uh, you wrote it and uh, you guys did an amazing, you know, teamwork. Thanks. What's even more amazing is you, after you get beyond his military career, where basically we could tell this parts of the book will tell you the story, but he was dropping cargo stuff over, over the China area when they fight the Japanese. And what they would actually do is they'd kick this cargo outside the, outside the door just kick it out the door and i guess it would parachute down and because i think yeah, it was just video that pictures of them it'd parachute down just land basically in the area they want it to you know it's going to be off a little bit and then 
our allies would run and go get it and open it up and it would be full of whatever ammunition or whatever it was that they had that they're knocking off here. But after he did all that, he came back to the United States and started working with, uh, it was Goddard Space, I believe. This is before NASA. And yep. he, he, like Cape Canaveral didn't even exist yet. So all these stuff and all. So anyhow, he began to work with them. He helped launch the, some of the first satellites into space. So he didn't just end his, just if he'd just been a military guy, he would have had an amazing life. Then he went on to even be more amazing. So. Wow. He was in NASA before NASA. Right. Yep. Holy shit. And <laughs> that's, that's fucking amazing. You know, how come I never heard of this guy? That's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. Why haven't you heard? Why doesn't he have a Wikipedia page, which he will do have that in just yep. a couple of months. I'll put it together and put it on there. So. He needs a Wikipedia page. He's an amazing guy. For sure. People need to know. I mean, this could be in, you know, like a history project or something, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. I don't want it to be a boring history, though. You, you, we've all been to history class where it's like, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> we want it to be a history where, wow, that's cool. That's yeah, I want somebody to say, that's fucking cool like that. You know, I, I don't normally <laughs> use profanity that, that much, but that's what I want them to say when they read about this guy's life. You know, For maybe. Sure. Maybe it's little, maybe it's the little old grannies reading. This is the book. Oh, that's fucking cool. That's what I want her to do. <laughs> <laughs> I think Tony's mom. She she read it. And she probably said that was probably her response. I bet. Yeah, pretty sure it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's she's a big supporter. Great. Damn. So Tony, um, have you came across any more stuff similar to that? Um. I mean, in the past, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, uh, uh, I've had tons and tons of photos and, and other things, but, but like I said before, uh, you know, you'll, you'll pick up pictures and photos with nothing written about them. You know, there's nothing on the back or there are not an album or even if they are, you know, very little context behind it. And, and now me being a little bit nerdy, I get my magnifying glasses out and I look at the old black and white things and I try to see into the photos and I really want to get into the life, even though I don't absolutely know who it is. I want to understand what, what's going on at, at that moment in time, you know, just like Wilford here with, with our photo album, you know, he captured so many uh, moments in time that we just shouldn't take for granted or forget, you know, a uh, very important thing. You know, one of the things uh, in, in the book is a, uh, you know, here we have this whole album documented, very detailed, uh, all these cool pictures, things you just don't learn in history books, right? Uh, first nurses into Burma, things like that. But as you uh, you start to look at this, like the photo album, you go, well, where did all these photos come from? Well, there's actually a photo there that says this, this gentleman's name is Lester Hurd, and it says his dark room. So we can only imagine that a lot of the photos we have were taken and developed right there at their camp at their base. It was a and, tent. Uh, it literally was a, t- a tent. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but but just things like that just make you just stop in your tracks and think, wow, you know, these guys were doing amazing things even in the middle of battle, you know. <laughs> and so you know, so it really makes it that more important, especially for me and I think Roderick, you know, to to really capture this and, and be able to share it with everyone, you know. One part I really liked in the story as I was reading to understand about more about him is we always think of, like, it's World War II. For example, let me ask you, just out of your own thought, Chewie, they call up all these people to go to World War II. Some of them are drafted, some of them enlist. 
and they're and they're on their way to the front. They have to obviously they have to deport out of the United States. How do you think this happens? Do you think they get called to a big meeting place? How do you think it happened? Um, I assume a soldier knocks on your door and says, "Hey, you're coming with me." Okay, that'd be <laughs> for the draft. Okay, how about the guys that are listed already want to go? How do you think uh, they get to that point? Uh, maybe uh, like a sergeant promises them money or something. <laughs> okay, but how do they actually travel to the point? Where do they? How do they does it do jeeps come pick them up or? Oh yeah, <laughs> I'll maybe drop them off at an airport, airbase. Yeah. yeah, that's not how it happened. As at least not with him. They gave him a stipend. I think it was a $7. And he had to either use any kind of transportation he had to on a bus, on a train, on whatever plane, and get to the to the launch point or deep debarkation point, which would have been in New York, I think, for him. Um, mm-hmm. But just imagine you're sitting on this Whoa. train or this bus with this guy, and he's telling you the story. Hey, yeah, I'm getting ready to go to fight in a war. And if you're just somebody sitting there next to him thinking, dang, he's this guy, this might be the last time I, I ever see him. He's, he might die. Yeah, but it wasn't like they got picked up in jeeps or anything like that they had to go travel around with just citizens and and leave their little small towns where he was from eaton indiana and go to these huge towns like new york which i'm sure he'd probably never been to all by themselves with nobody directing them get to the deparkation point make sure you're lined up right get on the plane get sent all the way to europe and then to other places after that that's that had been really scary yeah, just seven dollars. Here you go. Yeah. See you over there. <laughs> seven dollars. Yeah. So, I you thought know, that was interesting. I think maybe that was a test, you know what I mean? For those who didn't find their way there, like <laughs> oh, they're not meant for war, maybe. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna get lost in the jungle or whatever. Yeah, well, I never thought of it that way. Um, and, and, and this is World War II era, you know. This is some interesting stuff, right. I was just reading a story today. It's not in the book, obviously, because it has nothing to do with it. But I was reading a story today where I think it was in the Burma area. I didn't talk to you about this, Tony, but I guess the English, the British army had lured the Japanese into this mangrove. You know what a mangrove is? It's yep. those trees that grow in all the swamps. You've probably mm-hmm. seen them. So they lured them into there. And I guess there was a whole bunch of crocodiles in there. And they, they, they basically chewed up a thousand men. Only 20 Japanese survived. They got them on one side and on the other side, and they were got right in the middle and just got all eaten up. Now, nice. first of all, I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, if I was obviously you're a soldier and your commander says, "Okay, go fight," and you're like, "Oh, wait a minute, there's a bunch of crocodiles. Get out there!" I mean, what are you <laughs> going to do? You're going to try to tell them I'm not doing that? You're going to have to do it. <laughs> right. So, wow, thousand men got just eaten up. I guess they did a check on the 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 level of the water afterwards, and there were 23 percent of the water, and it was a three mile area. 23 percent of the water was full of human blood. Yeah. Holy shit. So, so my point brutal. is, yeah, my point is it was brutal. So there's, and the book says this too, that there's brutal moments in war and there's also boring moments. There's sitting around doing nothing moments. So they contrast each other dramatically. I'm sure one moment you're sitting around doing nothing, shaving, just shooting the shit with your buddies. And then next, boom, get up in the air now. We need you to drop this. And you're flying off and doing crazy stuff in the middle of nowhere, yeah. hoping you're not getting shot down or anything else. So. Man, so he was in a, he was a pilot, right, for in World War Two, right over the kind of the India area. So he would have went over the Himalayas, you know, where the Tibetans are. They call it the Hump at the time. I think there's even made a movie out of a couple movies out of over the Hump. So he had to fly over that area and drop, uh, like I said, pallets of of cargo. And did he pass away in the war, or did he make it out? No, remember he came out because he went into NASA. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 
The Universe of Every Religion and None, written by Roderick Edwards, narrated by John Ashton Nickerson. Roderick Edwards is the author of books as varied as a fictional account of a person living in a deserted world to an autobiography about his adoption and reunion to this book about the universe. Find out more at RoderickE.com. He died in yep. the year 2000, so he just died not too long ago. But uh, Tony, talk, maybe tell us a little bit about how he found his wife. She's uh, 94, I think, maybe even older than that. Yeah, he was, uh, uh, his first wife had passed away in the 70s, and he had remarried later in life. Actually, uh, I can only imagine, I believe they were probably, you know, uh, together for longer than that. It shows that they were only married a few months before he passed away. Um, but you know, it was just, just like this whole book, the, the craziness of it and the connections. And, uh, that was one of the things, you know, Roderick said, Hey, maybe we could find somebody that is still living. Well, uh, his parents have both passed away. Uh, we knew one of his siblings, uh, Oliver had passed away early on. Um, and as we continued to look, we actually found, uh, where he was living in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, with his, uh, wife, Barbara. And so through searching of the internet, uh, looking through several phone numbers, we were able to, uh, find a few, I, I passed those on to Roderick and Roderick, uh, finally made the connection. And I believe she's living on in, in Indy somewhere. Um, and at first I think she was probably a little skeptical, right? Roderick. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I could only imagine, right? I mean, <laughs> Somebody's hey, calling, us. calling you out of the blue. Uh, hey, your, your husband's passed away. We want to talk to you about him. Uh, no. Right. And by the way, your car insurance is due or whatever that is. Your, your, your work yeah. is up. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and then this, you know, Barbara was really, really nice. I mean, she allowed, uh, you know, Roderick to conduct an interview with her. And, and we've added that to the book, which we thought was, was important to show, you know, uh, how genuine the book is and how we're, we're trying to be just upfront with everyone. We're not trying to, to ad lib here. We're not trying to, to make it some romantic story or anything like that. We're, we're just looking for facts and trying to do, you know, make sure we represent uh, Wilfred and his family in, in the, the way it should be. And uh, that interview was, was really cool because, you know, we, we had a lot of the, you know, the documents, photos from World War II, NASA and all that, but we're really wanting to understand who more uh, Wilford was, just normal kind of guy. What did he do? Um, now, the way I was able to receive the the materials, according to, to Barbara, was I believe she just at some point in early 2000 decided that uh, she wanted to get rid of these these items and so that's how she sent them off to auction. So that's how we acquired them uh, through the conversation. I believe she she doesn't have anything else that, that we could, uh, you know, get from her that would add to the collection. I believe all of it's now been dispersed. Um, we have what we have. It would be really cool if we could get some other things uh, to go along with it. But that was one of the, the goals, too, was uh, uh, Roderick uh, was very passionate about uh, getting Barbara a book before Christmas. Uh, we wanted to do that. And, 
I believe we succeeded, right, Roderick? Yeah, we did. Just, uh, I think it's on the 22nd or so when it arrived, so uh, December. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Now, if, it's a shame because, as Tony tells you, the book is keeps really close to his story. I don't try to ad lib. I don't fill in any blanks that I don't know anything about. It's not going to be like a Rambo story where, you know, all these people are shooting at Rambo and they never actually hit him. Like, okay, you guys are all fired. You never hit 15 guys shooting at Rambo, not one of them hits it. So it'll be really true to the story and you're going to see this person's life in it. And you're going to be able to connect this, as Tony told you initially, because you're going to say, oh, well, that's my granddad right there. Or, you know, that's my dad. Or or, or even people who've just served recently in, in uh, Afghanistan or, or Iraq, they're going to be able to connect with this and see the same story. You don't have to be from World War II, but... You don't even have to be a war. You don't even have to be a war or, or NASA buff. You could just be somebody who believes that people's lives should be memorialized and remembered. I, for example, I mean, I don't know how much we want to get this, but we all have lost loved ones, maybe sometimes even recently, and we want to keep something alive of them and, and things that are important. So it's important that we do that, especially if you come across that as a, if a family member. If you say, okay, here's some old boxes and here's a bunch of old pictures, I have no. Take some time. It does take some time, but take some time and see if you can at least identify some of the people in the pictures. And a lot of times there's nothing written on the back and, and write that in the back and for, save it for posterity. So that's what we're urging. Very true. Like uh, my dad, uh, he recently passed away and for his services, we're going through very old pictures. And, uh, you know, there's pictures of him when he was in karate. He used to weight lift a lot, you know, like a lot of stuff. A lot of people didn't know about him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the stuff that we, we, you miss. You're like, okay, I never can picture that person being in that, you know, that frame. Like, look, I'm this little guy, but nobody knew I was in karate. I was been in, in martial arts. So those kind of things you never even know until you see these pictures of the people. So it's, it's amazing. We need to preserve that. <laughs> yeah. And um, did, did uh, Wilfred, uh, did he have any kids? No. No. And I, and I believe that might have been a, uh, part of the NASA, I believe at the time when NASA started, uh, I think, you know, they were okay with you, you know, being married, but I think they frowned upon really having a family because of, uh, probably long, long days away from home, top secret things. And, and I think NASA really, you know, wanted your full attention at the time. So they knew that, uh, you weren't going to be able to spend a whole lot of time at home. So I, I feel like that's probably why he didn't have children. That or to to play on your conspiracy audience there, Chewy, <laughs> that they used they were crossbreeding those people with aliens. Maybe I, yeah. there you go, make it a hybrid. Yeah, one, of <laughs> <laughs> one of those, one of those, one of those yeah. things is true. We just have to figure out which one. Yeah, <laughs> and I think we uh, uh, Roderick confirmed that with Barbara as well. He, you know, he doesn't really have any any family to speak of now. No, not even family, uh, family or friends, or even people he worked with. She told me she, he might, she he might have had a uh, like a clerk that worked with him that might still be living because obviously they would be interested in seeing a, a biography of of his life. I would imagine. And like I said he was there before NASA, before Cape Canaveral. He helped. Uh, he helped begin designing the space station, the International Space Station. And yeah. his notes and stuff. It was supposed to be really huge and this massive cool looking thing and obviously that got watered down later on and actually was one reason that he got upset and left from what i understand left nasa because he you know they were cutting back so much stuff and making it you know not what they envisioned there mm -hmm. at the end. did i have that right tony 
I believe you're right on. All right. You know, so much history, and it's crazy how not many people knew about this. I mean, I think it's just amazing you guys getting his story out, and nobody even asked for it. You know, you just you guys just decided, hey, let's do this. People got to know about this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a that's that's one thing. Uh, you know, I, I've had uh, all the material well for years and years and years now, and that that's always something I <clears throat> I struggled with was you know where does this go? Where does this belong? How do we get the message out, or, or at least how did I get you know, get the message out uh, before uh, Roderick and I got together to collaborate on this? Uh, and and I'm still even even with the book, you know, uh, I'm hoping that the message is out there that hey it's important to to just you know get away from some of the social media stuff right lay your phone down for a minute uh pay attention and, and have you know conversations with your grandparents or your aunts and uncles and just you know not everyone is going to have such a, a you know a great story like wilfred i mean to me this is a one of a kind just a, a very rare a scenario to to go to world war ii survive all that the photos then then come out and, and be a part of nasa uh which <laughs> we know about nasa right how how, how big of a uh, deal this is with with nasa and all that you know not everyone's going to have that decorated life kind of like that but it's still all important right so you, you know even in the story uh i talk a little bit about my grandfather roderick asked me to to write a little bit in it. And, uh, you know, my grandfather was in uh, World War II as well, but he was on the European side, on the European front. Uh, you know, he came from, uh, he grew up in orphanages most of his life. And then when he got out, uh, was drafted into the, to the military, he went to serve his country, just like, you know, Bill Skull did. And, you know, when he came back, he just took up farming and just, you know, raising a family and, you know, he had children and, you know, my mom was one of those baby boomers uh, because of my grandfather coming out of the war. Uh, but, um, but, you know, just like that, you know, I, I have all this information of Wilfred Skull, uh, but I, I know very little of my grandfather because, you know, he didn't have the photos. He didn't have uh, all the, the documentation and things like that. Um, which, you know, probably most most people I would imagine who go to war, probably more like my grandfather. You know, you go, you serve your country, you do your duty, you come back home and, and, and resume life, you know, the best you can. And like I said in the book, you know, the only thing I, my grandfather didn't talk about it. And uh, the only thing I remember from my grandfather being associated with the war was he had a USA tattoo on his arm and then at his funeral, you know, there was the 21 gun salute as they handed my grandmother the uh, folded uh, flag. And, you know, that's really the only memories I have. And uh, but like Roderick said in the beginning, when we started this project, he said, unfortunately, we're probably going to know more about Wil Wilford Skull and his family than we do our own families. And I think uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> That's what I said. I felt a little weary because I dig into this person's private life, but it was all there. He had documented so much. We even have, uh, there's, this is an interesting story too. It's in the book, but let's say you're, you're a cargo pilot. You're flying over enemy territory. You get shot down. Just imagine what goes on. You get shot down. You survive. You're out there in the jungle. Now, how the heck do you get back? So you, you would think 
think, well, I get in my thing and I get my little map out. Okay, but you fell into water. So now what's wrong? Now what's going on with your map? You fell into water. It's dark. It's dirty. There's dirt all over your map. It's gr okay. So the military thought about this, and probably because they made a mistake and had paper maps before. <laughs> they gave him a silk map. It's, it was printed on silk. So basically, no matter what happened to it, it would be fine. You just have to dry it out a little bit, and you're fine. So we, Tony has that. That's actually in the collection in this box. That's it's, so badass. Yeah, actual silk map that you would have to use if you got shot down. So you could find your way back. And I was looking at this map. It's really detailed. Like, damn, I wouldn't want to be out in the middle of all this stuff trying to get my way home. <laughs> I know. I, I get lost with Google Maps. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, e even more interesting is they had what they call gliders then. And what they would do, well, we have gliders now. But they were just becoming useful then in war. And they would take these C-47s, the plane that Wilford flew, which actually has engines. I think it's two, is it a two propeller engine? Is that right, Tony? Yep, yep. Okay. And they would have these little hooks on them with the ropes and they'd fly really low. And these gliders have no engines at all. And they'd sitting on the ground and they had, the gliders would have a hook on them as well. And they'd grab onto the glider and they'd jerk it up into the sky with probably a 10 passengers on this glider. And they'd fly in behind them and they get so high and then they'd unhook. And so you're just flying through the sky with no engine at all until finally you, you get to a certain point and you basically crash land. And they, that's how they got a lot of our troops behind the enemy lines on these gliders. And so just imagine that you're gliding and you're like, okay, uh, is this where we land now? I guess we're going to land anyhow. Cause we're losing altitude. Okay. <laughs> so, <that laughs> scary as hell. Just one shot. <laughs> yeah. One shot. So that's in the book as well a little bit, but it's more detail if you want to get into it, obviously. Awesome. man. Uh, could you guys hold on one second? Uh-huh. Sure. All right. So, um, I, I how was uh, his wife's reaction? Um, did she cry? I, I picture her crying. Probably if it had been his first wife, but his second wife, as Tony said, it doesn't sound like they were together very long. They were like, they knew each other from their teenage days, but they got together later on in life. And so it doesn't seem like she knew him as long. She knew some of his stories. So she wasn't as enthralled about what we were doing. She thought it was nice that we were doing, but she wasn't enthralled. She's actually the one, I mean, again, it's not trying to be rude, but she's the one that got, to, to send, send his stuff off to the auction so you know yeah. not, wow. like, not like she kept it there he actually had models of the satellites he made wooden models you know you all see the wooden models perfect little these weren't plastic models they were actually made of metal and everything else he had those and those were auctioned off somewhere too Pro i think what i understand they're somewhere out in california so if we can put a couple of your cholos together and some essays and we can go out there and get those back i'd be really appreciate that you got it i'll just pay him a dime sack a week <laughs> <laughs> a 40 ounce of uh, Mickey's whatever we need <laughs> and no, uh seriously though Tony Rod great job you guys great teamwork and I hope you kind of you guys do this again maybe I, I know it's a lot of work but I think it's an amazing thing you guys did here yeah thank you very much and thank you very much for allowing us to get it out here and and your audience might say hey what well, let's have something to do with me because your audience obviously we talk about all kinds of things in your show it's great but this is something new. I don't think we've really ever talked about this on your show, this kind of stuff, preserving history. Yeah, you know? you're right. And it's and it was your idea, man. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. It's, you know, it's great. And uh, why right. don't you guys show me the book cover, man? The book cover is right there. It's the same as a shirt. There you go. <laughs> Should have been with me. Should have been with me because that's uh, at the end of the book, uh, one of his glider pilot friends was talking to Wilfred Skoll, sent him a message saying you should have been with me and, and told him how he went down and his his uh, buddies went down over the Rhine. Is that right, Tony? Yeah. 
right? Yeah. That was European, but he was telling how he should have been with them. Yeah. Awesome. And where can people find this book? You can find it at Amazon. Just uh, type in should have been with me, uh, Roderick Edwards, or actually Tony Wright, since he's listed as an editor. I think it'll come either way. So should have been with me. Sweet. And everyone check out RoderickE.com for more books, uh, amazing books. In fact, um, I have your audio book, The Universe, and I have two copies of How to Overthrow Government, the one you <laughs> sent me, the PDF, and I got an audio book as well. <laughs> okay, now, now, not getting political, but now that Biden's in control, you might want to put that away somewhere. I'm going to get black bagged. I'm going to disappear. <laughs> okay. If I disappear, can you write a book about me? I'm just yeah, I will. I will. It'll be called Chewy and the Goose. <laughs> no cholos. No cholos. <laughs> All well, right, man. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. Thank right. you. Thank you, Chewy. Mm -hmm. Later. Later. Appreciate it. Bar is open. Sit back, grab a cold one, and get ready for the news you didn't even know you needed. From the frozen wasteland of western North Dakota to the tropical playground of Florida, it's time for tales of wonder and amazement. Put the kids to bed and pour yourself a drink. Lock the doors and close the blinds. Break out the cocaine and hookers. It's time for Happy Hour News. Hey, so I'm sure you've noticed I've been getting a lot more celebrity guests on my show. And this is all thanks to Steve Joyner. He's a publicist. And man, this guy takes his work seriously. He does not fuck around. And this guy is keeping me busy, yo. He, yeah, I'm just getting so many celebrity guests. Thank you so much, Steve Joyner. And um, if you yourself are an actor, director, producer, and you are looking for a uh, publicist, do not hesitate to contact Steve, right? He is a really cool guy. You'll love him, okay? His phone number is 816 605-4561 or if you would like to email him it's uh, all one word starts with a capital S and it's stevesjnetwork at gmail.com so again starts with a capital S and then it's t-e-v-e-s-j-n-e-t-w-o-r-k at gmail.com Tell him Screamy Chewy sent you. You will not be disappointed. And uh, yeah, so big shout out to you, Steve. Thanks again, bro. Peace.
Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. And if you'd like to support this podcast, check out anchor.fm slash screamingchewygmail.com. Any contribution is greatly appreciated and that makes you my producer. If not, that's cool. I'm just happy you're tuning in. And hey, Screaming Chewy Show merch. Yeah, that's right. At teespring.com. Just Google teespring, T-E-E spring, Screaming Chewy Show. Just go with that. It'll take you right there. And uh, yeah, you could buy hoodies, t-shirts, socks, masks, you know, if there's any stuff you'd like to see on there or purchase, just let me know and I'll add it on. And uh, yeah, you'll be rocking, styling, social media. Don't forget to follow me on there on Facebook, Screaming Chewy Show. I like to share memes, just make up stupid shit, share my episodes on there and just whatever. Um, Check out my YouTube for video versions of my podcast episodes also in between episodes i like to add me streaming yeah watch me get scared playing a creepy game or die playing PUBG or some shit you know what i mean and uh yeah just check out my youtube and uh twitter it's at screaming chewy yeah not screaming chewy show i should change it to that but for now it's just screaming chewy and uh thanks again for tuning in see you next week peace